This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, during the last couple of years, the job of compiling full, accurate, and complete data in and around COVID, like infections, etc., has been one that many people have seen as not good enough. Some experts feel that the data and the reactions to it have been reactive and not proactive. Adi Weiner, professor of statistics and data science at the Wharton School, joins us. He's also faculty lead for the Wharton Sports Analytics and Business Initiative, and you also hear him as host of Wharton Moneyball every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Eastern time here on Sirius XM 132. Adi, great to have you with us to discuss this. Thank you. Of course. Great to be here. Thank you. And, and so let me start up with just kind of that overall broad view of the collection of data in and around covid uh, the infections, uh, obviously the, the spread uh, of the virus over the last couple of years and the level of success you think or lack thereof that we've seen in and around the data collection over the last couple of years. Well, I, I sound a little bit, Dan, like a broken record. I remember almost two years ago, not quite to the date, but maybe uh, May of 2020 being on your program talking about this. We don't have the systems in place to uh, track the data that we need, mostly because we're a disjunctive, non-centralized system. And the way that's playing out today is we don't have a connection between people's vaccine status and their booster status and their overall health status, excepting in certain localized hospital communities and potentially cities. And that means that we just don't have an accurate count of the things that we need to be counting. And so from that perspective, it would make me feel like we would be seeing impact from this a lot longer and maybe be able to, you know, be able to tackle this in a better manner if we did have kind of that unison, that that connection on uh, on many fronts. Well, the problem, of course, has to do with the intersection between data, evidence, policy. And the when you lack data, you lack the competence to make policy statements and, and policy enactments that are evidence-based and will essentially hold up over time. When you make, you know, so when you make decisions about, for example, uh, masking, which with the government is flip-flopped, the individuals have flip-flopped, the states are on, and the data is pretty clear on, on masking that it, if it is particularly effective, the policy of masking isn't, hasn't been effective at all. And right. yet we cling to it as if it's the only way to get out of the pandemic in some communities. And other communities have discarded it. Other countries have changed their minds about it. And so that's the problem with data. The problem with lacking good data is that you don't have the confidence to make good policy decisions. So what would be a way to, to try and tackle this in a better manner? And obviously we're two years down the road, so it's probably very hard to do that at this point uh, with all of the data that's probably been lost and, and would be very important. But are there things you can think of that we could do now to kind of tackle this in a better manner? Okay, well, for this particular pandemic, I hope it's, it's, it's going to be over by the time we put it in place. But I would say there are two things that we could have gotten going and one thing which we continue, should continue to do, which we aren't. Um, we don't have a big national panel. Uh, other countries do that. So a panel means that you essentially collect uh, individuals of varieties of different ages that essentially represent the population, and you track them over time. That is, you keep in touch with them. You find out exactly what's the matter with them, their, their illnesses, their, their, their medications, their vaccines. And that, that should be about ten to 40,000 individuals. And that allows you to monitor um, what's going on in the country in an accurate way. We don't do that. Other countries do. The other thing that we haven't done 
is after, out, after the original randomized controlled trials, which is the gold standard for understanding medical outcomes of the vaccines, which were essentially only de designed to, to measure infection rates, we abandoned the, the randomized controlled trials. So, for example, um, boosters, which are known to be beneficial, um, have not been studied in a randomized controlled trial. And so we don't know exactly how beneficial they are. We, there are so many other confounders, um, and this is the reason why you have to do randomized experiments, is because confounders, other, other, other behavior issues that tack along with, with, with medical interventions that can explain what we're seeing in the data. And so that's leading to a lot of confusion, uh, particularly right now, and this really matters, about two fundamental issues, which I think we should, we should get right out there. One is the effectiveness of the vaccines and the boosters at preventing serious illness. And the other is the effectiveness of the vaccines and the, and the boosters at preventing infection. And they're totally different, they're not totally different, but they are different concepts. Infection means you have the virus in your body. Um, serious illness, hospitalization, death, precedes by infection, but is a different concept. And so that's the, the two the issues that the data has led to quite a bit of confusion on the utilities of vaccines and boosters. And I'm happy to explain what that is. Yeah, please go ahead. Okay, so the the and this is a, this um, most people believe at this point that what we used to call breakthrough infections um, were somewhat um, unlikely. That is, if you were vaccinated, it was unlikely for you to get infection. If you had a breakthrough infection, well, that was a, a matter of of bad luck, um, and that was true originally. The, what you might call the alpha strain, in which case break, breakthroughs were extremely rare. Um, it became yeah. much more common with the Delta. But at this point, they're happening essentially continuously with the, the latest Omicron variant of the, of the virus. But there's still a lot of dispute as to how much protection you have from the virus, from infection. The right. data from different countries are suggesting that there is as little as no protection from, the, from infection from the, from the virus with the vaccine. And a, maybe a little bit more if you get boosted, but that wears off very quickly. And so... You one on one hand, there's no there's a, a claim, and I actually am in that corner that vaccines basically cannot prevent infection from the Omicron variant. There are others. The New York State, the CDC, is claiming that it's about 80 percent effective. Um, right. I don't think that data is correct. That's my my reason. I have reasons for that, but I don't think that's accurate. Um, and that is really really quite important because. You have to understand what is the value of getting vaccine vaccinated and boosted, and the, vac the value of vaccine vaccines and boosting is to prevent serious illness and ultimately death. And right. that seems to be their amazing effectiveness, almost miraculous. You should, you should, you should take a moment to pause and think about that. This was not the original. The original intent of a vaccine was to prevent infection, but it seems to not be doing that. But it does seem to prevent serious illness and and yeah. hospitalization and death at an extraordinary rate. But that's again, we're arguing about that. Most countries, a lot of yeah. different different states, have seen an effectiveness, particularly in the older population, where it matters most, where, where yeah. death is much more likely, hospitalization is much more likely, out of about 90, 91 percent. But recently, the CDC put out a uh, some data suggesting it was as high as 9 percent. Now, to your ears, that might not sound like a difference, 99 and right. 91, but it is a vast difference. It is a, a nearly a tenfold difference. 
Well, Adi, let me take the last minute or so just to ask you because it's interesting. We I've talked with you so many times about how much data has advanced the growth uh, in the business community uh, over the last couple of decades. But it seemingly we have this miss around government and public health and, and realistically policy as well. They kind of all kind of they don't intertwine and build. They kind of intertwine and, and kind of break things apart. They do it, and that's simply because of our of our disjunctiveness. I mean, I'm not sure what the right word for it. I can add, look when you, everyone listening, ask yourself, how did you get vaccinated, and where did that happen, and when did you get your booster? I might have gotten my your one shot in one place, another shot in another place. How did that get yeah. connected? Did, I got vaccinated through work. My my healthcare provider kept asking me to get vaccinated for like six months until they started yeah. stopped. I had been already. Um, we don't have this collection, this connection between all our uh, our health outcomes in, into a database. I know there is interest in making that connection, but we don't have that. We don't have national ID cards. Um, we don't have things that, that connect people, and that's part of the United States. We are 50 yeah. distinct states, and they don't always play well in our sandbox. Adi, great to have you with us. Uh, we could talk about this a lot longer. Have to get to the break. Thank you for giving us a few moments. It was my pleasure. As always, you got it. Adi Weiner, professor of statistics and data science here at the Wharton School. And, of course, you hear him on uh, Wharton Moneyball every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Eastern time here on Sirius XM 132. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.